Again, Cedar Street, I love you very, very much. I long to be with you all week, and uh, no other place I'd rather be than with God's people and God's Word, asking for God's Spirit to speak. Uh, We are in a sermon series that I did not expect to go towards until a few weeks ago. In, In preparation and in prayer, I felt the Lord leading us in this direction. So we are now in week three of a series entitled, Weighing Our Words, as we've walked through the book of Proverbs to talk about the power of the spoken word as a believer in Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we opened up the series in Proverbs 17, talking about the righteous who restrain. How it is that when the Spirit of God lives inside of us and our our goal is to glorify Him, how it is we learn to restrain our words so that they have power. That we learn that our, our words have wisdom and weight and witness. Last week, we talked about the words of a whisperer. All right, a whisperer being a gossiper. And how those words need to be silenced because if they're spoken, they'll spread and they'll, they'll do great damage to the kingdom of God. So maybe I've dodged you so far. Maybe you say, well, I'm not the whisperer in the family. Well, today's going to hit every single one of us between the eyeballs, okay? We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 12, verses 18 through 19. And the title of our message here this morning is, The Tongue of the Wise. The Tongue of the Wise. And we're going to be specifically talking about a topic that possibly you've heard me mention a few times. I was looking around for Sarah Gillis because she always laughs at me uh, because of how often I mention this topic. But it's because I'm so incredibly passionate about us finding this balance as believers in Jesus. We're going to be talking about speaking words of grace and truth. Grace and truth. The bookends of every word that should come out of our mouth as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, and as we get ready for this message, I was thinking of people who greatly inspire me, and I've shared this person many, many times. He wasn't a theologian, he was a coach, but anybody in the sports world knows the name John Wooden. John Wooden, known as the Wizard of Westwood, he was the coach at UCLA and led them to many national titles, but people remember him because he was a man of Christ. He loved the Lord, and it showed in how he lived, and it showed in the words that he spoke. Well, one of the last interviews he did at the end of his life, this was about seven or eight years ago, ESPN did a little special on him called Love Letters. And it talked about how for over 20 years after his wife had passed away, on the 17th day of the month, every month, he'd write her a love letter. It was the sweetest thing. But I'll tell you what stuck with me out of that whole story. In that story, uh, the, the guy that was interviewing him, Rick Riley, said to him, how is it that you... Believe what you believe and that you've had the life that you've had. And he said, I believe there's two words in the English language that are the most important. The first is love and the second is balance. Keeping things in perspective. And so what I want to do today is to talk about how believers in Jesus Christ, how it is that we can express God's love, but how we do this through the balance of grace and truth. And this is going to be hurtful to everybody in this room because as I walk through what those are and we take a look at what God reveals to us in Proverbs, I think what we're going to find is this, that every single one of us in this room weighs too heavily on one side or the other. We are either people of more grace than truth or people of more truth than grace when God says we need to find the right balance of both. We need to find the right balance of both. So what's the big idea in one sentence? Here it is. The tongue of the wise speaks words of grace and truth that build the kingdom of God. 
The tongue of the wise speaks words of grace and truth that build the kingdom of God. So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Okay, pretty much pretty close to the middle of the Bible. Book of Proverbs will be in chapter 12, verses 18 through 19. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 636 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we are in Proverbs chapter 12, and we will be looking at verses 18 through 19. Hear God's word to us starting in verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it because it is you who has made it. And we've sang that you're a good, good father, and we've proclaimed from the Psalms of how good you are, and we continue to seek your goodness and praise your name as we look at your word here this morning. But we confess as those made in your image to reflect your goodness, Lord, you call us to be people of grace and truth, and we're so imbalanced in this, and we need your help. So, Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit and the time that we have together here this morning, open our hearts. Open our minds, help us to see maybe where we lack balance in this area, and help us to seek the power of your Spirit to find this balance that we would truly be representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray, and God's people say, Amen. Grace and truth. Yes, it is one of my absolute favorite topics. Um... Let me define my terms, make sure we're all on the same page, because sometimes we use the same words, but we got completely different dictionaries. All right, so what do I mean? I want to talk about love first, because this is the word where we got 10 different dictionaries to look up this word. Uh, Those who were here on Sunday night last week know that I took a lot of time to define this word, because we misunderstand. When When most people stand behind a pulpit in a church today, and they talk about the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, most of us think of feelings. They think of warm gushiness and affection, and those things are not wrong, they're incomplete, all right, because the love of God should bring to us a deep affection, but primarily speaking, when the Bible talks about the love of God, it means that He is sacrificially committed to your greatest good and His greatest glory. So if we're called to love others, it does not mean we have to feel all warm and gushy about them. But to love everyone, including our enemies, what God is saying, you need to be sacrificially committed to their greater good and God's greater glory. You, need, you should want what is best for them. That's love. And to sacrifice, to make it possible for what's best for them. That's love. Now, what's grace and truth? Well, grace in its simplest form is An act of love that commits to showing unmerited favor or blessing to someone else. That's what grace is. It's a loving way of offering something to someone that they didn't earn and that they don't deserve. You show someone grace by giving them an unmerited gift. We love our enemies through grace. Your enemies are your enemies because you don't like them, because they've done things to you. But showing them grace and praying for them and being kind to them 
It's unmerited. They didn't deserve it. They can't earn it. But you show it to them because God has shown it to you. And then there's truth. Truth is an act of love that commits to sharing what is right even when it is difficult. All right? Sometimes we think the loving thing to do is ignore problems and they fester or to water down the truth so that feelings are not hurt and people are not offended. All right? There's dangers in living a life that's all grace and no truth, and there's dangers in living a life that's all truth and no grace, and that's what we're going to talk about. See, sin is what segments those. God is perfect, and every single one of His attributes are united. We've talked about this on Sunday night a lot. All right, so you can't segment God's attributes. They're all one. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're not separate fruits. They're one fruit and different aspects of that one fruit. Well, the aspect of God's character is one of grace and truth, and they're not to be separated. He is 100% grace, and He's 100% truth. And as people made in His image, we're called to be people of grace and truth. But what happens is because of our sin... Our nature that is tainted by our sin, by our personalities and our upbringing, by nature and nurture, the way that we were born and the nature that we were born into, okay? We naturally tend to go in one direction or the other, all right? There are some of you that really lean towards grace. God's given you a gift of mercy, and you're, you, know, you just have the tendency to be very merciful and kind to people, but you don't always stand on truth. You've been known to exaggerate, but then there's some of you that are all truth, The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God, because you're going to drop the hammer on them every chance you get. I think what we misunderstand is that God, and as we'll say at the end of the message, specifically Jesus Christ, He is the perfect balance of grace and truth. And if we represent Him, if we follow Him, the words that we speak need to reflect that balance. Now, I've seen churches that get this wrong, and I've seen individuals that get this wrong. So let me start with churches. Let me talk about a church that's all grace and no truth. A church that's all grace and no truth. Every single message focuses on the love of God to the degree that sin is never discussed. No one is ever uncomfortable. There's never any repentance. And unity's the goal, even if it forces leaders to compromise the principles they believe in. That's a church of all grace and no truth. These churches will never help people grow spiritually. Because all effort to repent and seek glorifying God is tagged with this false label of legalism. They're not supposed to do anything. They're supposed to just sit there and talk about how great love is. And they never confess sin. And they never seek with effort to glorify God. That's all grace, no truth. Now let me flip it on its head. What about a a church that's all truth and no grace? A church that's all truth and no grace focuses too much on the holiness of God to the degree that people no longer see God as a loving father. They see him as a relentless taskmaster that they can never live up to. And people feel the weight of their condemnation and they never see how that condemnation was nailed to the cross and that Jesus offers us redemption and new life because of his grace. They take grace and they lock it up and they can never get to it. These churches tear down souls, but they never build them back up with the good news that God is inexhaustible in His grace and He offers true change and transformation. I love that word transformation so much I I sought for it to be in our mission statement that heads, hearts, and hands are being transformed 
through the gospel. Now, the truth of the gospel sometimes pierces us. We have, we have to be torn down to the studs to realize that we're sinful and we need a Savior. And then it builds us up in grace to realize that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And when we place our faith in Him, we're made new and offered eternal life. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. All grace and no truth will never talk about sin. All truth and no grace will never talk about forgiveness. We, we just, we, we've got to have both. And so far you're saying, amen, pastor. Amen. That's your job. You lead us in grace and truth. All right, well, now I'm going to talk about all of us. Okay? What about individuals that are all grace and no truth or all truth and no grace? People who are all grace and no truth, they're easygoing, they're welcoming, they're very accepting, they're willing to give you a listening ear, and they're willing to affirm you, make you feel good about who you are. However, they don't stand for anything, so they fall for everything. They try to avoid conflict. They tell everyone what they want to hear, so they end up talking out of both sides of their mouth. In the end, they compromise what is true so that they can be liked, and they avoid uncomfortable issues. And the mantra of someone who is all grace and no truth loves to say, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. That's someone that's all grace and no truth. Now, here's someone that's all truth and no grace. These people make a God out of principles and convictions. They see everything in black and white, and they see everyone living on one side or the other. They spend their lives proclaiming what is right, speaking out against what is wrong, and they don't care who they've got to stomp on to proclaim the truth. They will completely stomp all over human beings because they think that the truth is what's most important. They tell it like it is. In the end, what they do is forfeit the opportunity for somebody to hear grace. They find it impossible to forgive. They have relational problems their whole life. And their mantra is, well, the truth hurts, don't it? Or, for those in social media, they'll end a a statement of all truth and no grace with, just saying. Those two words, when you hear the words, just saying, you're just saying those words without any grace, is what you're doing. And you tear people down and don't build them back up. That is someone that is all truth and no grace. Can't we be both? Cedar Street, can't we be both by the power of God? Can't we be people of grace and truth? That's my heart. You know, I I was thinking about this the other day because Miss Sarah always reminds me of how often I bring up grace and truth. Why is it such a, a prominent thing in my life? And I think the reason why is this. I've lived all over the country, but I've prominently lived in two places in my life that emphasize both sides of this, okay? I was born and raised in the south suburbs of Philadelphia, which I would say is a place that has a whole lot of truth and not much grace. And I live now in South Georgia. I've spent most of my adult life here, and this is a place of all grace and sometimes not truth. And I'll give you an example of both. If you want to know what it's like to be in an environment of all truth and no grace, I dare you to go to a Philadelphia Eagles game with a Dallas Cowboy jersey on. You will find out real quickly what life is like with all truth and no grace. However, what about all grace, no truth? All grace, no truth sometimes happens when you walk into any retail store in southeast Georgia, and the person at the cash register tells you, hurry back and see us. How's your mama doing, bless her heart? And, you know, here's the thing I have found out. When they tell you to hurry back and see them, and you do hurry back and see them, they're not exactly happy that you hurried back to see them. Not all the time, anyway. 
I, I remember a couple of months ago, actually a year ago now, when Dave and Melanie first moved here from North Carolina, and, and Dave came into my office and said, you've got to go up to Synovus, man. They've been, they've been asking for you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, well, Deborah Stanford said, you need to go talk to her. There's an issue. And I'm like, well, what's the issue? He said, I don't know. She just said, tell Bo, come see us. And I said, that's not what she meant. That's grace, but not truth. She doesn't really want me to go see her. That's her way of saying hello. Right? So... The blessing of being raised in Philadelphia was that I knew where I stood with people, but they were downright hurtful. The, the blessing of being in South Georgia is people have really been kind to me. But sometimes I wonder, are they really being kind, or is that just who they are? They just say those things. I yearn to see both, grace and truth together. I yearn for Cedar Street Baptist Church. I pray for this church. Oh, I pray that we be people that never waver from the truth, but we always speak it with such grace that they feel like they've been in the presence of Jesus. That's my prayer for our church. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, he had a metaphor. He said that, uh, he talked about the Christian life like riding a horse, and he said, Satan doesn't care what side of the saddle you fall off of as long as you're no longer riding. All right, how do we stay on the saddle of Christianity? We put one foot in the buckle of grace and one foot in the buckle of truth, and we keep riding the horse. We keep riding the horse. So as we look through Proverbs, I I got two points. Brother Ronnie, I got two points today, all right? So I should be earning some grace with you. Well under my limit. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 18 through 19, and I just want to look at two areas where the wise words of grace and truth can have great impact for the kingdom of God. So, number one, here it is. The tongue of the wise speaks words of grace that heal. Listen to verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Rash words, harsh words, sometimes truthful words, that can pierce a human being's soul. How are they rash? Well, I think they're rash by what we say, when we say it, and how we say it. What we say is what we're going to share something that's going to be helpful to our listener. When we say it is now the right time to share what we want to say to our listener. And how we say it is the tone in which I share these words, the tone that Jesus himself would use. That is how I think we can stop and say, is the truth that I'm going to share filled with grace? Do these people need to hear it? Is this the right time for them to hear it? And is this the tone that Jesus would enable them to hear it? Because you can say something that is factually true, but it absolutely destroys the person because it wasn't said at the right time, it wasn't said in the right words, and it wasn't said in the right tone, and God says, I'm not putting my stamp on that, Mm mm-mm. You may have what, you, what you may have said is true, but that's got no grace. The, the wrong words at the wrong time and the wrong tone, they're like sword thrusts that pierce the soul of humans. And we can't carry all of these, these, these scars of being thrusted over and over by someone who's all truth and no grace. Wise words heal with the grace of God. The tongue of the wise does not compromise truth, but it shares the truth with amazing grace that heals. I want to share this this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Here's what Paul says about words of grace that bring healing. 
He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, it doesn't mean you compromise the truth. Again, grace without truth has no power. But when you're willing to offer truth, but you do it in grace, you want to build them up. You want what's best for them. You're not trying to seek revenge. You're not trying to stick your own chest out and affirm yourself in your own little platforms and your own little agendas. You legitimately want what's best for someone, and you tell that to them in truth. God can do something with that. God can build a church. God can restore a family. God can heal a soul through words that are filled with truth and grace. I want to give you an example of how this happened in my life at this church. So, two years ago, maybe a little over two years ago, I was working on this deacon handbook. Okay, it's, it's turned out to be now about 15 pages of policies, procedures, who we are as deacons. I, I just wanted to be organized. I wanted to be thorough. I wanted to have a game plan. Well, the fact, you know, that I'm still in seminary and still doing so many different types of things, I kept pushing that, the time to write that handbook. I kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. And finally, it was about 48 hours before our deacon meeting when I was going to present the handbook. And I had all my notes everywhere. But I ended up taking two days and really one long day, taking about 15 hours and writing that. Well, guess what I ended up doing? The deacon meeting was on a Saturday morning. So Friday night, I went and had dinner with my wife and I came back to the office and I spent 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. finishing the handbook. Wife and daughter at the house asleep, and I'm in the office pounding keys, and the deacons show up on Saturday morning. We go through the two-hour prep of the whole handbook, and I'm exhausted. And one of the deacons pulled me aside and shared grace and truth with me in one statement that I'll never forget. He, he actually uh, pulled a few dollars out of his pocket, and he put it in my hand. He says, I'm proud of you, and I'm, I'm upset with you. Take your wife out to dinner and don't do this again. Your wife and your daughter are more important than that handbook. Do you understand that? And I was like, uh, yes, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, I took my wife out to dinner that night and prayed that God would ma- enable me not to do that anymore. Now, he could have done one or two things. He could have been all grace and no truth and told me how proud he was of a finished product and a deacon board that's moving in the right direction. Or he could have been all truth and no grace and said, how dare you leave your wife and your daughter at home and you spend all night at the church. That's what kids in college do. You're married. You've got to be home. No, he didn't. Grace and truth, one statement. And it completely changed the way I thought about things. You see how grace and truth can impact a soul? I mean, really, when we're people that don't compromise either one. It, it, it's how Jesus would talk to us if he was here in the flesh today. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. When you're committed to grace and truth, God can use you to heal a soul. He can use you to heal a soul. So again, number one, the tongue of the wise speaks words of grace that heal. Number two, the tongue of the wise speaks words of truth that last. Listen to verse 19. just says simply, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now we're going to talk about someone who's all grace and no truth. Someone who wants to lie to make someone feel better or brush the truth under the carpet and pretend like it doesn't exist. They're going to face, they're going to face problems. You can't ignore conflict. It's got to be dealt with. And it's got to be dealt with truthfully. 
Truth has to, in the words of the great theologian from Mayberry, you got to nip it in the bud. Right? you got to nip it in the bud. Because truthful lips endure forever. But those who lie and are willing to just ignore, they're, they're not going to have impact for the kingdom of God because words of truth last. People who speak truth, they're trusted. They have integrity. And guess what? When, when you're in times of trouble, you'll always go to someone who speaks truth before someone who speaks grace because truth's what's going to get you out of trouble. You don't want someone that tells you what you want to hear. You want someone that's going to tell you what you need to hear. Because what you wanted to hear is what got you in trouble in the first place. And what you need to hear often is what's going to get you out. All right? Those are people of truth. And when we lie, we lose our witness. We lose our witness. You know, I, I've said this before, and when I do, I get nervous chuckles from the congregation. I'm not saying this to get a laugh. I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth. There are some people in this room that you have lied so many times. When you tell someone you're going to volunteer for a ministry, we don't believe you're showing up. Because you haven't showed up so many times that when your name gets put on the list, I say, you know what, have a backup plan. Because that person has said they're coming, and they call and confirm they're coming, and then they never come, and they don't even call to say they're not coming. They just say, well, they'll figure it out. Because they're not a person of integrity. Because they don't speak truth. They don't admit that they've overscheduled or that something has come up, or, or most importantly, that they just don't want to do it. And so they say they're going to do it out of guilt, and then they don't show up, and someone who could have done it is not there because there's no truth in what they're saying, and they lose their witness for the kingdom of God. They lose their witness. And here's the deal. The truth always comes out, always. There's, God has wired this world in such a way that the liar can have their moment in the sun, but the truth is coming. There's no one that will lie and get away with it forever. Every lie will eventually be brought to the light, always. And even if they die, having, having it never come to the light, they're going to still face God and have to take up an account for it. God will he'll bring every single ounce of lying and of truth to light. Every single one. Lying will never, ever have a long-term benefit for the kingdom of God. And by the way, let me just say that it's not, not always the truth that we feel like the world needs to hear. Primarily, it's God's truth that people need to hear. I want you to listen to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right, The truth of what you believe, your opinion, may not necessarily set somebody free. So I'm not saying to be a truth teller, you've got to always share your opinion. We covered that a few weeks ago about the righteous who restrain their opinion. But the truth that God has revealed in His Word that we need to share with the world, that is something that can set somebody free. So when someone's living in significant sin that you know is directly against the Word of God, somebody in truth and in grace can say, you know, God's got something better for you. You need to repent of this. And if they're open to receiving the truth of God, it will set them free. It will set them free. Again, people that are all grace and no truth, I said earlier, if they don't stand for something, they'll fall for anything. You know, I was in an interesting situation when Cedar Street hired me to be their pastor. I don't know how many jobs that you can have where you have one full year to prepare for it. 
All right. I was basically told that, that this church and, and your grace, graciousness and your generosity waited a full year with an interim pastor so that I could go back to seminary and get more training at Southeastern before I came back here. And I'm so grateful that you did that. I'm still finishing my classes online, and it's been a marathon and not a sprint. But the classes that I spent on campus, that was such valuable time, and I thank you for the grace to allow me to do that. But I remember... The, one of the last classes I had before I came here to be pastor was Introduction to Pastoral Ministry. And the professor was also a pastor of 25 plus years. And the class was in the afternoon, but I would meet with him in his office at 7.30 in the morning and grill him for three months on every question I could think of. Because I prepare like an athlete. You know, that's, sports is all I know. So I said, you know, if I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to prepare for this like I'm a coach. And so I literally just put a game plan together. And I remember him telling me this over and over and over. He said, be wide open to learn from your congregation. Have an open mind and an open heart for the Spirit of God to convict you about what that particular congregation needs because there is no template. Every church is different. He said, but you ought to have just a few convictions A few short convictions that when you walk into that door, you're already settled about, and you're not going to waver no matter what anybody says. And I will say, the one conviction I have is I know that I know that I know what the Bible is called a pastor to be. I I mean, I know it to the point where I wrote a 25-page research paper on it, and I read it over and over and over. The Bible calls the pastor to be a shepherd that knows, leads, feeds, and protects his sheep in areas that I try to know them, lead them, feed them, and protect them. I will not waver from it as long as I am pastor. And if people disagree with me, they're going to have to agree to disagree with me because I'm not going to waver on those. Now, on 95% of what I do, I'm wide open to go where the Spirit leads, and I've learned so much from this church. But there's also truth that I just will not waver from. And I think that's who we're called to be as Christians. There's just some truths we're not going to buckle from because we're people of truth and we stand firm in that. But we also don't shove that down people's throats. Again, truth, if it's divorced from grace, will never have the impact that grace and truth will have together. It won't. It simply will not. So we've got to be people of grace and truth. So how do I sum this up? Well, if the tongue of the wise speaks words of grace that heal and words of truth that last, what I want to say last is this. The tongue of the wise speaks words of grace and truth because together they reflect the exact nature of Jesus Christ. Again, the tongue of the wise speaks words of grace and truth because together they reflect the exact nature of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I feel like if Jesus were here in the flesh and He spent one hour preaching to us, I think what we would feel is, man, that Word was filled to the top with both grace and truth. Now, the world that tells us what Jesus is like today, most of the time they paint Him as a man of grace but no truth. That he's all accepting of every decision we ever make and he would never call sin a sin because that would not be graceful. But again, that's grace without truth. And then there's some people that talk about Jesus as a taskmaster and he's just screaming at people to repent, repent, repent. And that's all truth and no grace. I think when we get to be with Jesus, we're going to hear what grace and truth sound like in one person and it's going it's to it's restore our entire soul. We're going to want to be in His presence for all of eternity because He's going to constantly speak over us 
with grace and truth in everything that he says. I want to give you one example from Scripture before we move to the invitation. I want to make this tangible. I want to drive up in your driveway and meet you where you live here, okay? I want you to think of a famous passage in the Bible, John chapter 8. Most of you have heard this story of the adulterous woman, okay? You guys remember this story? If you don't, if you've never heard it, in John chapter 8, there's an adulterous woman, and according to the laws of Moses, she is to be stoned. And so she's gathered around, and she's cornered by a bunch of these Jewish men, and they're all picking up stones to stone her. And Jesus is there, and, and the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, well, how are you going to handle this? And Jesus says, I got it all figured out. Men, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead. Go ahead and cast it. And, and that's basically what he says in verse 7. All right? Grace and truth. In truth, he's saying, if you, if you, if you don't have sin, go ahead and cast it. But in grace... He's giving her an opportunity to repent. And then in verses 10 through the first part of verse 11, it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. All grace. Now, most of you would love for the story to end right there. But the final words he said are even more full of grace and truth. Here's what he said. Go and from now on sin no more. Jesus didn't say, I love you. It doesn't matter what you did. It does not matter. You keep doing whatever you want because I love you. Full acceptance. No, Jesus basically is saying, you sinned. And sin is not to be tolerated. But I do love you. And I'm giving you grace. They didn't condemn you. I won't condemn you. But go forth and stop this. Because I love you, live in my love. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He doesn't hide from the truth, but he doesn't bang it over people's heads. He gives people a chance to repent. He's a God of grace and truth. And so as we draw to a close, I want to say two things. First, I want to speak to the person that either doesn't know Jesus or maybe that you think you do, but you know that your life doesn't belong to him. Let me share a little bit of truth with grace. Here's the truth. No one, according to the Word of God, is good in the eyes of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being. So it doesn't matter if you, if you are a volunteer for a civic organization. It doesn't matter if you're a good tax-paying citizen. You were born into a nature that rebels against the holiness and perfection of God. And there is not multiple ways to be forgiven of that sin. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life that no man gets to the Father but by me. Why is it that Jesus Christ is the only way to have an eternal relationship with God? And the answer is, Jesus is the only one that took care of the problem. He lived the life that we should have lived, earning our perfection. He died the death that we deserve, taking on our punishment. He rose from the dead, making a way from death to life. And don't miss this one, because this one's never talked about. He ascended to the Father and sent down His Holy Spirit, because in your own power, you cannot live the Christian life, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. All right, And that's the promise that God has made to us. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if if He's not the King of your life, the Bible says today's the day of salvation, and you need to repent and believe. You need to confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. 
You need to accept the truth that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. And you need to receive the grace that Jesus did for you, what you could never do. And you can receive it as a gift and live for Him because He died for you. But now I want to talk to those in this room that are Christian. As I was speaking today, I hope maybe you were thinking in your own life, am I a person of too much truth or too much grace? I don't, I don't know of any human being that balances it perfectly because none of us are Jesus. We're trying to be Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, He's making us more like Jesus. But I would say today, most of us lean too far on one side or the other. Maybe you're all grace and no truth, and you want to be kind and merciful to people, and that's great. But you avoid difficult situations. You water down issues because you don't want to get into conflict. You avoid confrontation. And what I want to say is there's a way that you can embrace the truth with grace. And if your grace does not have truth, it's not a grace that will bring healing. So you need to be more truthful in what you say. You need to stop exaggerating and stop avoiding and be truthful. But there's many of you in this room that are all truth and no grace. You say, again, just saying, or I just tell it like it is. Sorry you, don't, sorry you can't accept that. That type of person will have no great impact on the kingdom of God because maybe you do speak the truth, but you don't do it with grace and you hurt people and you use truth to tear them down instead of build them up. And so, yeah, your truth may be something that reflects reality, but you give it to them in a weight they can't carry. You need to show grace. You need to give people time to repent. You need to be understanding of people that maybe aren't as far down the path of Christianity as you are. And you need to be graceful to them. Part of the reason why now in my third year, being a pastor of your church has exceeded all my expectations is that there's a group of men in this church that have shown me unspeakable grace. Because you know what? You can go to seminary and understand a lot theologically, but you can only grow in grace by walking with Jesus. And I'm 38 years old, and so a man in his 50s or 60s, yes, should be more mature than me because they've been, they've been knowing Jesus longer than I've been on this earth. And those men typically don't pull me in a room and chew me out because I made a mistake. They love me in grace. And I've grown because of that. So for those that are living in grace and truth, I commend you and I encourage you, live that out in front of other people so they can see it. But also let God speak to your heart where you're imbalanced in it so that we can all look at each other and say that we have the tongue of the wise that speak graceful words of healing and truthful words that are lasting. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that what I just said is a balance that we will never find in our own strength. We can only know where we're imbalanced by the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And so I just pray that we would be open for the Spirit to convict us where we are a people that are too much grace and not enough truth or too much truth and not enough grace and that we would be the perfect balance of both. I pray that for this church. I pray that for the individuals in this church and their families. And I pray that for my family, and I pray that for my marriage and my children. I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would give us tongues of wisdom, that we would be people that speak words of grace and truth, that when they're around us, they say, surely they know the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your Son, who is all the grace and truth that we need, both for our salvation and also for every day that we follow him, as close to him as the air we breathe. Help us to be people of grace and truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.